0: So Karen, <clears throat> that would be, I'm, I'm crossing over to the campground, isn't it? That what you just played? Crossing Jordan. Uh, that's about those, uh, that chariot of horses and fire that carried Elijah across. I think there's kind of a connection there. <clears throat> that chariot of horses and fire. That's really kind of timely. Uh, I'd like to preach from the Old Testament today. But I do so remembering a passage in the New Testament, it's Romans 15.4. It says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The passage I'm going to be reading is one of those passages It gives us great encouragement. It gives us hope. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is a story that comes out of the ministry of Elisha. Remember, Elijah was the one who rode the horses, the chariot of fire, and the horses of fire to heaven. Now his successor, the one he mentored, is the, is the chief prophet in the land, uh, very close to the king, uh, in fact, helping the king. And now we read this story of the deep, deep trouble that Elisha finds himself in. Now this is 2 Kings 6, and I'm going to start at verse 8. <clears throat> Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, that would be Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, and time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Well, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw, that's why that offertory was so interesting, the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me. I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were, inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, "Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them." He answered, "Would you kill men you have captured with your own? Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink, and then go back to their own master. So he prepared a great feast for them." And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. If you would notice how the passage begins and how the passage ends. It begins, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. It ends, the war stopped. Now what happens in the meantime is beautiful and a real source of encouragement, I trust to us this day. It was about 10 years ago, I think, that our daughter Kate, uh, who was married to Ben Direct, uh, told us uh, that they had heard a surprise announcement from their little boy Isaiah, who at the time was three years old. Uh, He told them that he had found a new friend. And, in fact, that he was going to play with that new friend every day. And, moreover, that his new friend lived right in their home. And, this seemed rather strange, that his new friend even stayed with him in his bedroom at night. So they watched, and sure enough, Isaiah had a new friend. Kate would look out the back window as Isaiah played in the sandbox, and she could overhear him busily jabbering to this friend, even laughing with him. And when it was time for his bath that night, there were two boys in the tub, Isaiah and his friend. And when mom and dad read a book for bedtime, both Isaiah and his friend sat on their lap. The only problem is you couldn't see him. He was an imaginary friend. But that didn't make him any less real. To Isaiah, he was as real as his brother Andrew. Ben and Kate wisely allowed his imagination to thrive because i think they know as many of you young parents know that cultivating a child's imagination is a very important part of their growth a part of even of their spiritual development because after all the bible says that no eye has seen god and it describes people in the bible who endured like moses moses was able to go back and face pharaoh the face the anger of the king Hebrews 11:27 because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We are people who see what's invisible and that's what sustains us, right? So these parents decided we're going to we're going to let this imagination grow. So Ben and Kate did not squash Isaiah's imagination. They went right along with it. In fact, they asked Isaiah if his friend had a name. Well, yeah, he had a name. What is it? His name is Ray Day. So welcome to the family, Ray Day. I don't know if they put a plate on the table for Ray Day or not, but Ray Day was there to stay. And they made sure to inform us, grandpa and grandma, that we were to welcome this new member of their family. So we did. So I played catch in the backyard with Isaiah and Ray Day. It's a bit of a challenge, you know, throwing a ball to someone who's completely invisible. picking blueberries and putting them in the bucket of someone who's invisible. But to this child, it was all perfectly natural. And even more to the point, it was absolutely real. This is not just pretending. Ray Day is real. He sleeps, he plays, he eats, and grandpa and grandma must not overlook Ray Day. That's the power of imagination. Uh, We got a break After about six months into this, uh, Ben and Kate got a rabbit. And uh, we asked if Rabbit had a name. And uh, I said, Yes, yes, yeah. The name of my rabbit is Ray Day. Oh, good, what a relief. (laughs) At last, now Ray Day is confined to a cage. (laughs) It was quite a moment in our journey. But the power of imagination. Well, imagination is a gift of God. And may I suggest to you that it's part of of our faith that we see Him who is invisible. We we see this with our imagination, but we are not imagining anything imaginary. We are seeing something very, very real. And now that brings us to this story today. Today. We have a one-man CIA here, Elisha, who uh, is helping the king of Israel by informing him of these enemy movements. And he's protecting the king of Israel. How Elisha knew where the king of Aram was, we don't know. How he knew these movements, we don't know. But he knew it, and he was helping the king. Well, the king of Aram realized after a while that he was being thwarted in his attempts to uh, rob and steal and loot and despoil the villages of Israel. And so he became very suspicious. And he asked the, the captains under him, somebody here is spilling this information. Who's on the king of Israel's side? And then this wondrous response None of us, sir, it's Elisha. He knows you so well. He knows what you do in your bedroom. That is a good CIA operative, I'll tell you. He knows the things you whisper. And then the king of Aram, filled with rage, decides that he's going to eliminate Elisha once for all. And so we have this situation where he dispatches this army of horses and chariots and soldiers to the little town of Dothan, and he surrounds that town. And so we have this utterly lopsided situation. One man being attacked by an entire army. The next morning, his servant gets up, goes outside, and sees, sees this utterly hopeless situation, he panics, he runs inside, and he says, oh my Lord, what shall we do? What shall we do? May I, may I just pause right there and ask if anyone here has been in a situation like that recently? where you're facing a lopsided situation, it's just overwhelming. There are circumstances that are so distressing that keep you awake at night, or perhaps they, bear, they weigh on your heart. Maybe that's something in your family or in your business, and you don't know what to do. You're overwhelmed with these circumstances. Just this week, I talked to a person Overcome with loneliness. Just overcome with it. Weeping. Feeling utterly alone. Feeling there was no light in their world. No, no prospect. It, Their world had been just changed so deeply. So irreversibly. Perhaps there's someone like that here today. I would like to... I would like for you to hear the words of Elisha, my friend. He looked at his servant, and he said to him, don't be afraid. And here's where the power of imagination comes in. He said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And that had to register with his servant like nonsense, It had to be the same kind of response that the disciples must have felt when the women came and told them, he's not dead, he's alive. It seemed to them like nonsense. And so Elisha prayed his first prayer in this story. He prayed two prayers. His first prayer was, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Elisha, who had already seen with the departure of Elijah, a chariot of horses and, and, and of fire, now was given this vision for his servant. His servant's eyes were open, and he saw on the hills surrounding Dothan uh, a whole army, a whole army of chariots and horses of flaming fire, this picture of overwhelming force, against which this little army from the king of Aram was simply no match. Uh, Friends, I just ask you, can you open your eyes this morning and see this picture? It has not changed. Doesn't the psalm say that the, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him? Doesn't he say that? Aren't we promised by our Lord, I will never leave you? I will never forsake you. I'll always be with you. when we have these circumstances in life that we feel we are just, they're too much for us, then I'm going to ask you with a sanctified imagination to see what Elisha and his servant literally saw. The army of the Lord is encamped around you. Let's go to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the most difficult time of his life, about to drink that bitter, bitter cup knowing that a band of of, uh, hooligans was coming with clubs and swords to take him. What did he say? At this moment, I could call 12 legions of angels. I mean, they're right there. If I want them, I can call them. He did not for our sake, right? Praise God. But they are always there. In our culture, people speak of a guardian angel. How trivial. We have armies of angels surrounding us. Armies. We are a protected people. We are never in a lopsided situation. Well, I guess we are. But the lop is on the other side of the lopsided. And the servant's panic is eased. Because he sees. He sees. I'm asking you today, if nothing else, on this beautiful day in June, this last day of June, that you would be like Moses, who endured because he saw him who is invisible. He saw the Christ. I'm asking that you look at Jesus today. He's with you in whatever that circumstance may be. It is not overwhelming, it's difficult. There are perhaps no clear answers. You don't see your way out of it right now, but he's there. So that's the first part of this story. But it's not over, because the gospel is so often presented to us in the Old Testament. And this story is going to end up right where we're going to end up this morning, at a feast. It's going to end up at a beautiful, beautiful feast, So Elisha prays his second prayer. Lord, I'm going to ask that the blindness that my servant had would now be transferred to the army. So the servant sees and the army is blind. And Elisha, this is the humorous part of the story, he says, are you looking for somebody? Yes, looking for a man named Elijah. Well, Elisha says, I could help you with that. Lead you to the man you're looking for. And so he leads them right into the city of Samaria, right into the public square. He puts them right in the presence of the man whom they hate, the king of Israel. He summons the king and shows him this army, this now prisoner army. And then he says, Lord, open their eyes. And these men, now it's their time to panic They're standing, helpless, in the presence of the king and his army. This king at this moment is not a godly king. Like Pastor Burt was telling us, maybe he went through the religious rituals, but in in this moment of opportunity, the old hatred, the old revenge, the old bitterness at what this king of Aram had been doing to his settlements and his towns and his villages boiled to the surface. Here was his chance to, what do we say, don't get mad, get even? Here was his chance to get even. And so, with some respect to the prophet, he says, Shall I kill them? Shall I massacre them? These enemies of mine, these people who have done nothing but make my life miserable, here is my chance to settle the score. May I just again pause here? and mention how easily this passion rises within us when we have been mistreated and when we carry anger in our spirits and bitterness toward individuals. May I remind us of what we are told in the book of Romans. If your enemy is hungry, you should feed him. If he's thirsty, you should give him something to drink. Or what our Lord told us in the Sermon on the Mount, Love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good to them. The spirit of Christ is in Elisha. And he says to the king, the leader of this part of the country, he says, oh no, don't kill them. Feed them. Serve them. Bless them. Love them. What a shock! Talk about countercultural. Talk about not being transformed to the spirit of this world. Oh, friends, we witness a marvelous thing. The king of Israel arranges for a supper, a feast. And here, these men sit down and they eat and they drink and they celebrate. And they have this moment of love, this moment of grace, this moment of kindness that breaks into this hostility. And we are reminded of Romans 2, verse 4. Don't you know that the kindness of the Lord is, is meant to lead you to repentance? And during that meal, the hearts of those soldiers and of that king of Aram are softened and tempered and changed the hostility. You might say they're almost ashamed of it. And then they leave. And what would you expect? No more raids on Israeli territory. Perhaps this account would serve Israelis and Palestinians well today, maybe. But is not this the gospel? While you were yet enemies, he loved us. He died for us. He gave his life for us while we were enemies. And even now, we come to the Lord's Supper, friends. Have we been these perfectly obedient children of God? Have we, Are we worthy of this? We are not and yet, in his grace and in his kindness, he reaches out to us in his, his love and mercy, and he pours out this blessing upon us. So in the Old Testament, we hear this wonderful story that's meant to give us hope. We're about to be fed at, uh, at the table. I, I, I was just amazed at the coincidence that you're having communion on the Sunday that I was planning to preach on this passage, not knowing this was coming together, but how beautiful this is. This is also God's timing. So we are about to eat a meal, much like the meal that the king of Israel served to his enemies. We have been brought under the grace of Christ. We've been enfolded into the family. We're about to be loved in a very special way. We're about to be fed and nourished with the very life of Jesus represented in these elements. Once again, I want to go back to the first part of the story. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Again, I don't know what it is that overwhelms you at this point in your life that makes you feel like that servant, that everything is so lopsided. But here is his provision. This is heavenly food. This is strength for the journey. This is power to go on. This is not a mere ritual here. Jesus himself is in Wiser Lake Chapel right now, by his Spirit. He would like to feed you his life, the tokens of his grace, his forgiveness, his, his deep compassion for you and me, but also uh, the evidence of his, his favor and power flowing into us. So when, when you take a little piece of bread, oh, it's so powerful because it represents him coming into us. That's why Paul says this is a participation of the body of Christ, a participation of the blood of Christ, We are sharing in his life. And so come, all you who are overwhelmed. Imagine this. Just imagine it with a holy, sacred imagination like Isaiah imagined Ray Day. The living Jesus is standing before you with all of his resources and all of his strength, all of his riches, and before me. And he's pouring this life into us that we may go on and live with kindness and care and love for one another and have hope even in the most desperate circumstances in which we find ourselves. So I invite you to come now to the table for... Everything is about to be prepared.